Again, it's, it's great to be with you. If you've got uh, your, your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and uh, take it out. Turn to Luke chapter 10. That is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Uh, but if you don't have it, again, it is on the back of that uh, program uh, and in the uh, Uversion app if you want to follow uh, along there. You know, whether we want to admit it or not, we all make first impressions. Harder for us to think about is the fact that other people make first impressions of us. You know, statistics show that visitors at a church, visitors make a decision whether or not to return within the first seven minutes of their initial visit. Thankful for us, I usually start speaking about 30 minutes in. And when you're thinking about first impressions, when you're, when you're identifying first impressions, seven minutes is actually a very long time. The New York Post had an article in uh, early 2019 that states the average American forms a first impression of somebody in just 27 seconds. Further, seven out of 10 Americans tend to form a first impression of someone before that person even speaks. Listen to these, 85% of people say their first impression of someone will be more positive if they smell good. And if you think 27 seconds is quick, 60% of those surveyed said they would take even less time than that to form a first impression of somebody when on a first date. We allow these first impressions to make of, we, we make, we make, these first impressions that we make of other people, we allow them to either be positive or negative and affect potential relationships our ability to grow and respond in certain situations. The first impressions people make of us will also affect these situations, but it's important to realize that the first impressions we leave can also affect our ability to share the gospel, to win souls for Jesus. Here, perfect example of first impressions. If you were driving your car and you saw this car in front of you with all these people and dogs and cats... What assumption would you make about the driver? You know, truth be told, this is Chris's car. She's behind me this morning. And this morning, I bet many of you who've been around NCC for a while, well, you, you might have made an assumption or a first impression based on seeing Chris come to the stage. Because you say, you probably said to yourself, I heard Chris's story recently, just this past summer. I'm here to tell you this this morning. You haven't heard the story Chris will share. And Danny will, Danny will share a view of events in their lives that we haven't heard, first impressions, or first impressions aside. So what are some first impressions you can have or, uh, or others can have regarding you? You can exude confidence or you can appear nervous. You can demonstrate strength or you can seem weak. You can be approachable or standoffish. But what about compassion? Is compassion and a compassionate heart something we assume based on an impression? Compassion is defined this way. It's defined as a feeling of deep sympathy and sorry for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. 
We encounter suffering all the time, and how we respond to that suffering will say a great deal about our heart, about our faith. So much, so much so that it can change the course of our story for others and their first impressions. Pray with me before I read to you our parable this morning. Father, I pray for Chris and Danny, and I pray for uh, this room of people. I pray, Father, that you enter into here, and, and as I say every week, just meet this congregation where they're at. Father, I pray, I know that there are hearts that will be changed and moved today by this story, and I pray, Father, for your uh, peace. I pray for your strength. I pray for your discernment about what to do and what paths to take. Father, I thank you for Chris and Danny, and I thank you for their willingness to share. And I also thankful, thank, I'm thankful for your word and for this good teaching out of Luke 10. Father, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Follow along with me as I read the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is found in Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell in the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed when he saw the man, I'm sorry, by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy on him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Barnes and this is my husband, Danny. Our stories today may seem different from different times in our lives, but God works through our stories to make us into who we are today. Everything that happened to us prepared our hearts for the work God would do for us and have us do for Him. God watched over me and kept me safe, even though He was a stranger to me. I wonder what it would have been like if my family growing up had known Him. I grew up in what seemed like a normal home. Church was not a part of our family life. I do recall God being brought up at times, but that was as far as it went. As I got older, my parents fought a lot. I really never knew why. I guess they just wasn't happy together anymore. Then it happened. Divorce. 
There was a part of me that was kind of relieved. Maybe they would be happy now. My mom started seeing this guy that she met on her bowling team. To be honest, I believe they were seeing each other before the divorce. At first he seemed nice, but as time went on, I realized he wasn't. I didn't know until later he hit her. I never saw any bruises, but like everything else, they were hidden. I really grew to hate this man. My mother would not quit seeing him, no matter how much I begged. I had this aunt who was concerned about me and my little sister, so she did what any aunt would do. She gave me a gun. Then one of the worst days of my life happened. My mother told me she was leaving. Just like that, she was going to live with her boyfriend, and he was on his way to pick her up. I have never experienced hurt like that in my entire life. Now you need to understand, it was my mother, my sister, and I who lived in our family home. My dad lived in Indiana. I was 16 years old, which made my sister to be like 11 or 12. I didn't see it as we would be alone, but more like my mother chose this man over us. I saw him come down the driveway, get out of the car, and meet her on the front porch. So I did what I was supposed to do. I went up to my room and got the gun my aunt gave me. We had the type of storm door that was solid at the bottom with the screen on the top. I stood there by the door inside the house with the gun by my leg where no one could see it. It was going to be that simple. Get him inside, shoot him, and be a happy family. It didn't work out that way, though. He could tell something was wrong. He wouldn't come inside, so he got in his car and sped off. I went upstairs and put away the gun and did what something no child should ever have to do. I packed up my mother's clothes so she could leave us. I knew he would be back. What I didn't know is he would bring the police with him. So the police are protecting this man as I loaded his car with my mother's things. All I remember is the officer asked me, what's going on? I told him my mother was leaving us to go with the man who beats her. I'll never forget his response. He told me I'm not here to get involved in that. As I stood there and watched the police left, and then my mother, my sister, I'm sorry, I told my sister that she was gone and I would take care of her. I had a part-time job after school and some money for gas to get back and forth and to buy food. I was able to maintain this for about three weeks before bills began to come in the mail. I couldn't pay those. I did really well for a while, keeping it a secret. No one knew, but eventually I had to call my dad. Came to realize although we never went to church or put God first, God still loved me. In my heart, he had compassion for me. What if that man had walked in the house? What would have happened to me? Where would I be? I'm sure my path would never have crossed Danny. I wouldn't have my three sons. I wouldn't have met all of you. Although I wasn't following or living for him, he was protecting me. He had a plan for me the whole time. I have forgiven my mother. I do care for her, even though we don't have a relationship. I am grateful for going through that. 
I truly feel I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't. But I will not allow any of my children to ever feel that pain. They will never be abandoned. How could anyone do this to a person? How could you not hold your child while their heart is breaking? How could you hurt someone you loved and cared for? I know some of you might not understand this, but this, this is how I feel about animals as well. To have a family and then one day they don't want you anymore, dumped in a loud, cold shelter. I've been to a lot of shelters and believe me, they're not nice. Would imagine it's like being in jail. They lay there in a corner shaking and scared to death, just like I felt on that terrible day. No child, person, or animal should ever feel abandoned, scared, or hurt. I'm afraid so many are. You know, the lawyer, the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's a good lawyer. He's done his homework. During this time, the lawyers and the scribes, they studied God's law and they interpreted it for people. So, so Jesus knows that this lawyer knows the law, and he asks the lawyer how he reads it. And so then he recounts the Shema found in Deuteronomy 6, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And he adds Leviticus 19, verse 18, when he says, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus confirms he's spot on with his answer. And then Jesus goes on to do what Jesus does and flips the script. He, tells, he, he sets this lawyer up. He tells him, do this and you will live. In other words, obey God's commands perfectly and you will have eternal life. But we can't obey God's commands perfectly. If perfect obedience to the law is the one way to live forever, then all of us are going to die guilty. There remains a massive difference between answering correctly theologically and living perfect practically. The lawyer knows. The lawyer knows in his head what is the correct answer, but he cannot do with his life what is the correct answer. This conversation shows us that the law was not given for us for righteousness, but to expose our sin and lead us to a Savior. I believe the lawyer actually feels guilty at this moment. When Jesus tells him that he is right and that he has to do it, he looks for an excuse. You know, you know what's interesting to me is how we can deny, we can deny showing compassion, but we are eager to know the compassion of Jesus. We all realize, I hope, that we have broken God's law, but we, we look for a way out, an excuse, a loophole to show that we aren't that bad and that, that God should cut us some slack. That's what the lawyer does in verse 29. He tries to justify himself, to find a way to be right in his own mind. He asks, and who is my neighbor? Jesus, in the most Jesus way possible, he doesn't diminish the definition of a neighbor, he challenges all of the expectations of the day and blows it wide open. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, a story that features the brokenness of this sinful world, one that exposes the emptiness of religion without love, one that challenges the racism and prejudice we all feel, and a story that requires sacrifice and risk 
man, I wish we could do six weeks on this parable. When Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers, he radically redefines neighbor and practically defines what it means to love God and love neighbor. The lawyer would have never asked if he knew Jesus would define this neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needed his compassion. Be careful what we ask for. Uh, I'm guessing I've showed more compassion toward dogs we've rescued through the years and all the kids I've coached over the last 23 years than the adults I've encountered who were just as deserving. There are many sayings about dogs that dogs are not your whole life, but they make your life whole. Or no matter how little money and how few possessions you may own, having a dog makes you rich. Well, if that's true, and I seem to think it is, then I am a wealthy man. But there's more to the story. Coaching basketball for the last 23 years, many of us Many of those were coaching my sons, but also being one of the founding fathers of Little Pioneers. About 10 years ago, I coached a little girl named Lily. She was a second grader who, no matter how hard she tried, she wasn't strong enough to make a basket. She practiced and played hard, gave her haul on every drill. She just wasn't strong enough for the 10-foot goal. During the second to last practice, after hundreds of shots that year, her shot finally went in. All the other seven and eight-year-olds cheered and congratulated her, and we went nuts. Her mom was crying, I was crying, other parents were crying, it was awesome, and it was just practice. And she went on to make six more shots that practice, and it was incredible. People always ask me if I'm still coaching, which I am. They always say, I don't know how you still do it. And I say, well, it's kind of one of the few things I do that I'm actually kind of good at. But it's really because of that one kid every year, like Lily, that makes that one shot. One kid, one shot. Which leads me to the life-changing event involving our family and the one kid who deserved a shot. We have a sign on our kitchen wall that says, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. That is from Mother Teresa. In August, in August of 2010, we were awakened by a phone call that would forever change our lives for the good, I might add. We were asked to take care of a two-and-a-half-year-old little boy. Now, Langdon and Riley, our older sons, were 19 and 15 at the time, and 10 years earlier, steps had been taken by us, well, me, to keep us at the two-kid count. But obviously, there was no plan in place to limit the number of dogs, cats, pigs, and other furry creatures that roam us. So here we are in our mid-40s, set in a revolving door of basketball games, rescuing dogs, and work, work, and more work, if you know us. We were just busy. We didn't know it then, but we were about to bring a new son into our busy family, Jimmy. I personally didn't think much of things. I figured he would just hang out with us until things got sorted out. But things went in another direction and not the way I saw it happening. We were running into walls with the courts, and the proper steps weren't being taken. So we decided to pursue full custody. I shouldn't say we, because I had reservations at first. A family fight was coming that might destroy any relationship Chris would have with her family, which it pretty much did. 
My thoughts were much more selfish and not really focused on Chris's family. How will we raise another son? You know, we're older. The money, the time, the courts, everything. It would have been much easier to just let them win. But my wife is the strongest, most loving, and compassionate person I know. She showed me compassion on a whole new level. One kid, one shot again. And now it's one life. She was willing to sacrifice everything to give a kid the life that she was ultimately robbed of. She was willing to eliminate suffering even though it was so familiar to her. I learned my plans meant nothing. God planned on us having three sons. I could never imagine how our lives would end up here when we first met at Poe Folks Restaurant 35 years ago. Just like I couldn't imagine having Jimmy as our son. The absolute smartest, funniest kid in the world. Langdon and Riley, of course, who also made all this happen. And I can't stress enough the importance of Langdon and Riley in this decision. They were incredible. Chris and I are not special. Many others in this church and millions of people all over have done what we've done. But know this, God is the rock that taught me about sacrifice and compassion. God has the plan. You just have to open up and let him work it, even if it's not what you were thinking. I know I still have a long way to go in my relationship with Christ. And I also want you to know I have failed someone. I want to apologize to my nephew Keaton, who should be here second service, for not being there until it was almost too late. I pray he can find the power of faith in God that has blessed me and my family even when we didn't know God was there. I fear nothing because I know God has my six. I know I don't always show it, but I've been blessed my whole life. I was just, I was just too dumb and stubborn to realize it. I think I started realizing in my 20s, but I didn't fully grasp things until I walked in this church about 13 years ago. Now I see more every day. Again, Chris and I aren't special. We have a long way to go. Will God have a fourth child in store for us? Who knows? But God knows, so I will stay flexible. Uh, Jimmy is saved, and our love is undying for him. We are here for you now, Keaton, and we will pray for your salvation, your healing, your recovery. I think everyone here is for you. One kid, one shot, one life. You know, the lawyer, the lawyer also never thought that God, the Son, would come into this world to be this kind of neighbor to him. He had no idea he was talking to the true neighbor that the Samaritan only symbolized. Jesus does everything the Samaritan did and more when he suffers crucifixion in our place and is raised from the grave for our justification and eternal life. Jesus sees our brokenness and in sin and comes to us in compassion. Jesus demonstrates God's love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. Jesus brings an end to racism. He reconciles us to God and to one another through the, His body on the tree. Jesus pays the, the cost for our salvation by shedding His blood. Jesus is coming again to receive us into eternal life and a never-ending kingdom.
So those who align with the new covenant, those who repent of their sins and trust in Him, confess their faith and are baptized, receive as a gift eternal life from God. What Jesus gives, we cannot earn. It's having faith. It's having grace. It's a feeling of deep sympathy and sorry for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. It's compassion. And I hope, I hope you know the compassion of God today. I hope you understand that it's through Jesus we are able to extend this kind of compassion. You know, as the worship team comes, we're, we're going we're gonna to close in worship today, and, and we're going we're gonna to go back to that song that we sang before. And I think after hearing what we've heard this morning, after hearing from Chris, and after hearing from Danny, and after hearing this parable, I think the idea of reckless love takes on, it takes on new life. It takes on a new sense of, of resonance in our lives. And I pray this morning that you, where you're at, can thank Him for the reckless love that was sending His Son to die on a cross for you, for you, for me, for all of us. If you don't know that this morning, if you don't know that love, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Myself, one of our elders, will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk you through that confession, walk you through and into a relationship with Christ, see you be baptized this morning. You're not going to inconvenience anyone if accepting Christ and following Him into baptism is what you want to do this morning. Maybe you're someone who says, you know, I've been coming to Nicholson for a while and I've never, I've, never really, I've never really joined in. I've never really jumped at the chance to be a part of this church family. Maybe that's you this morning. Come forward. Or maybe this morning you just need someone to pray for you. If that's you, we are here. We would love the opportunity to pray with you. I'm going to pray now and then invite you to worship how you feel led. If you want to sit, stay seated. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to come forward, I welcome the opportunity to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and for the word. I'm so thankful and blessed that you feel as though I have the, the wherewithal to be a vessel. I feel so weak and so undeserving and you are a sustainer. You are awesome. Father, be with those hearts now that need you the most. Touch those shoulders that just need to turn around and realize your arms are wide open. No matter what has been ahead of us before, 
turning our back on that allows us to open our eyes and our hearts to a new realization, to a new morning mercy every day. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.